Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. One of my favorite ages to work with is usually middle schoolers that are anywhere from, you know, 10, 11, all the way up to, say, 13, 14. I really like those ages. Some are more challenging than others, but I really like them because they are able to grasp intellectually some of the things I'm sharing, and they're also able to take advantage of some of these skills and do them independently of me and be able to really build that inner foundation for themselves at a time when it's really helpful for them to begin to know who they are and to begin to believe that they can do good things and hard things and that they can find things that they love, that it makes them excited, find their passions and so forth. We're just going to talk a little bit about this age range and these grade levels and just share a little bit about that to maybe support those of you who are working with them and get some feedback or get some general knowledge out there that you might not necessarily know about. Especially if you came into this field like I did, where you just got in front of a bunch of children and started doing things and seeing how they responded versus maybe learning about it in college or whatever. So consider this just a crash course in forest education and middle school. So one of the reasons I love fifth graders and sixth graders, and I kind of will lump them both together. I know they're still kind of in that early or late, late stage of childhood period. But what I love about them is that fifth graders and to some degree, sixth graders, they are in a childhood state still where if you have four fifth grade or early sixth graders in a room and there's a game, they'll just sit down and start playing the game and they won't even think about it. They'll just be like, Hey, you want to play this game with me? And they will start playing and just have a great time. If they are getting ready to go, if they're at at our camp or someplace, they will just say, Oh yeah, I'll go with you. They're really agreeable. They like doing things together. They like doing things with uh, the instructors. They usually don't have a lot of the oppositional behavior that's going on. And, you know, if they like something, they will, you will see it on their faces instantly. If I say, oh, we're going to go down and get some willow to make spears, they're just, they'll almost always say, yeah, pump their fist or get excited or they'll turn with a, you know, wide-eyed expression to their friends like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? They're full of passion and they show that passion really easily. They also are emotional in the sense that they will miss their family at times and can really get homesick. They are also learning how to take care of themselves. They'll do a lot of different behaviors to get attention if they don't feel safe. So it's a really nice age though. And they will, once they start to feel safe, they will respond in a really beautiful way. They will be 100% on board for the most part. I do know that there, when that there's a condition that some people will have that is either linked to depression or anxiety, like social anxiety or performance anxiety, where when that 
is shows up, it does skew behavior. So please know that if you're working with that those ages and there are students in there that have a lot of anxiety, you will see that really ripple through your program and it will affect everyone. And usually if it's something that you can explain and talk about a little bit, it can evoke a lot of compassion, a lot of empathy, and everyone will make sure that they take care of each other and that they support people who are struggling. So it can be a good thing if it's something that feels like you can talk about, whether it's sometimes if somebody has an injury or whatever, they're just very, very caring about each other in that way. Right at the end of sixth grade, from January on, if you're looking at it from the grade point of view, that last three or four months of sixth grade going into seventh grade, that is when puberty really starts to begin the process of brain development, brain growth, beginning to start flooding in hormones into your system to accelerate bone growth. The students really change a lot. It's mind-blowing to have somebody that you worked with in May and then have them come back in a year and or six months or something and realize, whoa, they have really grown. Whoa, their voice is deeper. Oh, whoa, they are filling out. They are starting to have like almost their adult faces that are no longer, they don't, they've lost baby fat. They're really growing and changing. And sometimes it can be really awkward because they're in that sixth grade, early seventh grade, where they sometimes they can just feel like they're just knees and elbows and I don't want to say gangly is not the right word, but they just feel awkward, a little bit like a baby horse or a baby deer, like a fawn struggling to stand out there. They're starting to develop that coordination, but they lose their coordination because they're growing so fast. And so they can be get really shy. And at that point for them, as they, especially as they move into seventh grade, the social experience around them, the social dynamics the group dynamics around them become critical of importance for them. And they are very, very aware of what their peers think of them, what their peers say about themselves, what their peers say about other people. And there's a real strong understanding, almost, almost instinctively, of who's the in-group and who's the out-group. And it can be a very chaotic time because they're all trying to suddenly jockey for position somehow or for belonging within those social constructs. And it's very strange because you'll have a group of people that you knew a year ago who were just friends with everybody and happy to do anything. And then all of a sudden they're quiet, they're reserved, and they'll give you one word answers. And it's the same person, but in some ways, some ways it's not the same person. At this time, their brain is going through massive growth and they are actually jettisoning, jettisoning, I guess is the right word. They are losing like thousands and thousands of neural pathways and reforming new ones to be more efficient. And they're creating, there's a substance called myelin, which is coating that coats the uh, nerves that helps and synapses that helps uh, things move quickly so that they can respond faster. And all of this stuff is happening to them in their bodies. So they are fundamentally different than the child that they were a year and a half or a year and a half ago. 
And I, I remember working with parents a lot who would say to me, I don't know where my kid went. The voice got deeper. He's sleeping all the time, barely doing any chores. Schoolwork seems to be a little bit not a high priority, way more interested in the social aspects of stuff and trying to play sports and so forth. And so it's really hard for parents to experience that because it's different. And if you're someone that works with young people and you suddenly get a group of seventh graders, it can feel really strange. I remember seeing this when we would have class trips come and we'd have fourth graders and fifth graders and sixth grade groups coming in and doing activities. And what's great about third and fourth graders is that if anywhere you go, there's always three of them that want to hold your hand and They'll carry the backpack and they'll just hang on you because they're so excited to go to the creek. And just going to the creek with each other is like so fun. And they're, it's like this magical journey. And when you're dealing with fourth, fifth, sixth graders, they're a little bit more independent, but they are also excited to go. And then when seventh grade comes, they can often be really loud because they're maybe feeling uncomfortable and they're just feeling all this anxiety and just letting out with a lot of volume. Or they can be really quiet and shy and not say hardly anything. And I remember working with a lot of those younger groups. And then suddenly we had a seventh grade come in. And I had, I don't know, four staff members that I was working with that year. And they did not know what to do because they were used to saying, hey, do you guys want to go learn this or go down to the creek or go climb the mountain or whatever? And they were used to getting a lot of verbal confirmation and agreement and excitement and everything. And instead, it was just like a ghost town. They would say, hey, does anybody want to go to the creek and go, sw- creek and go swimming? And it would just be like a dump <laughs> rolling through the camp and a cold wind blowing. Like you just did not get feedback at all in those scenarios. And they would look at me afterwards and say, what is happening, Rick? They would just look at me and they just go, I don't know if any kids like anybody or anything we're doing. And I'm like, no, they're in seventh grade and they are in their zone. And I said, honestly, they will be doing that social, the whole social dance. They'll be doing that whether we're at the creek, whether we're building a shelter, whether we're making fires, whatever it is, whatever we are teaching or sharing is almost always going to be secondary to the social component of what is happening within their group. And that's how it is. And when they kind of understood that, it it got better, but it took a while. And they were really trying to get them to come out of their shell. And I said, you don't have to try so hard. They're going to either come out or not based on how you are. And it's okay not to, the more you push, the harder it's going to be. So a lot of what we do when students are in that seventh grade area is we try to do activities that help to stop their world a little bit. So we use a lot more challenges. So we'll say, all right, we're going to teach you some fire making. And by the way, there will be a challenge later. So it's a really good idea to pay attention to what we're doing because we're going to see if you guys can meet this challenge. And that kind of wakes them up and distracts them from the social thing for a little bit. And believe me, the social piece is incredibly tiring. It's emotionally based. It's stressful. And when you can break their focus on that, you can see the relief go over their faces. They are just like, oh, 
oh, finally, we're getting a break just for five, five freaking minutes. We're getting a break from trying, having to be worried and obsessed about what's going on. And they will really respond. So doing social games is oftentimes fun, whether you're doing stories and going around sharing or telling jokes or doing something where they're also carving or working on with their hands, doing something that doesn't take a lot of concentration, but enough that they can self-soothe and then have fun with whatever the accomplishment is. But breaking their fixation on the group, and I find it also helps to split a group up in lots of different ways. And they will protest. If you have a group, a big group of seventh graders in that age grade, and you get them into a, two groups, they will want to stay in those groups. And then if you go, okay, now we're going to change it around. We're going to mix it back up again. We're going to make three groups. And then they'll be like, no, can't we just stay in the other group? They will protest. And I'll be like, no, you got to do this. Let's do it. And then a day later, I switch them again. The more you can switch those groups, the more you'll actually help their anxiety because they'll be mixing with different people and having to work with different people. And that will help them to get to know each other better rather than to be plotting in their head of how, who's thinking what and how and everything else. And that is what I call rotating leadership, getting students in different, of different temperaments to lead different activities or challenges, super helpful. Sometimes if there's people in a seventh grade type group at seventh grade age, I will say, oh, okay, here's one or two people who are just getting a little bit too, they've got a lot of attention, a lot of leadership stuff that they're trying to push on everyone. And I'll do an activity and say, all right, we're going to learn how to make a fire, a one match fire. And two of you are going to be blindfolded and I'll blindfold the two people that are creating a lot of drama. And then I'll say, okay, now you are, or we'll do one of them will be blindfolded and the other one has to help that person to make a fire or whatever it is. And that also can change because all of a sudden they're doing something really hard and they're going to try to see if they can do it. And it's an extra challenge and it just can devolve into having fun and just being like kids again. I remember one of my favorite seventh grade activities was to just go down to our gravel pit, go down to the creek and then go swimming and then come up and look for fossils and then see if we can find pieces of flint and just have fun doing some of these things that help us to help them really, I should say. We're trying to do things that help them feel like a kid again, that they can regress back to fifth grade and just have fun and have the joy of playing a game of cards like war or something really simple and fun and stupid and just be that splashing in the creek or looking at rocks and doing something mindless and sharing stories and just helping them to remember that they're still kids. They're not 35. They're not having to work in a corporate office at Verizon or something. It's really interesting with middle schoolers to give them some skills, but not give them too much, not give them so much information that they are going to feel like they're in school, that, that you want to give them a little bit, see how they do, a little bit more, see how they do. And they may not find that what you're doing is the most important thing to them, and that's okay. So I've learned over the years to breathe a little bit and just let it be all right. It's not a problem. Another aspect of 
middle schoolers is when you get to the eighth grade. And eighth grade is where that brain is forming and a lot of those neural pathways are really firing and they're doing pretty well. And they're starting to find their groove. They're starting to figure out who they are, especially towards the end of eighth grade. They know that they are going to go on to high school. They know that things are changing. They usually have gone through that storm of what is happening at home, where in sixth grade and fifth grade, usually mom and dad are still doing a lot of things for them. They have a few chores, but it's not too big of a deal. But all of a sudden in seventh grade, it's, hey, you got to do your grades and you got to empty the dishwasher and you got to take out the trash and you got to do all these other things. And they can suddenly be like, wait a minute, I was the prince who, you know, who, who just did very little and I was able to just go and have fun and do whatever I felt like. And suddenly now I'm the scullery maid or I'm the stable boy and I'm being punished and you guys are driving me like a slave. And the adolescent brain at that middle school level is very emotional. It's impulsive. It's emotional. It, and it can't really think things out rationally yet because it's still forming it's the prefrontal cortex of its brain of a brain. So it's difficult for it to, you know, assess what they're doing. It's more just like, we need to go do this right now. And that is the most important thing in the world. And, you know, you just throw all caution to the wind and go to town. And when we understand that as educators and you're working with those older uh, groups, then it's good to give them choices. That's a really good time to say, hey, we're going to be doing this thing, uh, but you guys have a choice. We can do this or we can do this or we can do both. Uh, but if we do both, then we're going to have to split the group up. Does anybody want to split the group up? How do you feel? And let them go around and just talk about it. And sometimes in the past, I used to think, no, we can't talk about it. I'm just going to decide and we're going to go and do a bunch of stuff because that's what's important. And I've learned that is not the best way to do it because giving them some self-determination is really helpful for them. And it will help you to have them be fully on board with what you're doing. And be prepared that if you give them one, two, or three options, they're probably going to come back with a fourth option and say, we thought that we'd maybe do this, but what about you think about this idea? Can we do that? And sometimes it's way out there and you're like, no, you can't. But many times it's not. It's a good, it's a good plan. And you go, hey, let's try it. So giving them choices is helpful. Also, again, stories about relationships and friendships um, one of the things I found a lot that helped me in seventh and eighth grade uh, groups was I would talk a lot about how the same thing I mentioned earlier, when you're with, when you in fifth grade or sixth grade, everybody is your friend and everybody, you, you just do right by them. You do your best and everybody's just friendly and that's it. And then I said how what I have noticed over my own life is that friendship is something that really needs to be earned. And at a certain point, you're going to realize that not everybody is your friend. Not everybody will treat you the way you want to be treated or deserve to be treated. Not everyone, people will make bad choices. Honestly, this is something you have to learn to discern. So you have to be able to look and say, is this really a good thing or does it just look good? 
is my desire to go to the the party that I got invited to a really good idea or is it something where it could be a setup it, it, this whatever it might be you know in 7th and 8th grade there are people in your community who will sometimes throw you under the bus to get themselves more social traction they will throw your relationship under the bus they will not value that and that can be really painful and very eye awakening and we all probably know of and are probably thinking about, oh, three or four things that happened where we just suddenly realized that, oh, this person who I thought was my friend was not. And so I'll tell a story about how someone that was my friend said that did the wrong thing. An older teenager wanted to play a joke on me. And my younger friend, one of my best buddies, who I used to read a lot to, he was pretty dyslexic. He plotted with this older teenager to trick me to try to push me into this pond. And I don't know, it was like November. And it was cold. And uh, anyway, it didn't really quite work, but it's worked. And it ba- it just really disappointed me and got me, it hurt my feelings. And I went, all right, that's it. I'm out. And they always ask me, well, what did you do? And I go, I just didn't hang out with them for a year. And I had other students would say, oh, you guys should just make up. He really misses you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, too bad. Why would I take a risk? How do I know? How do I know? I thought I had four years or five years of being this person's best friend. And I was thrown under the bus because a 16-year-old thought it was funny or something. Ultimately, that's where you have to learn where, how, and where to value the people that value you. And so we talk about what can you do to show other people that you're trustworthy? What can you do to show people that you appreciate that they are have been a good friend? And those are good discussions to have, and and they might not really go too far because their capacity for self-reflection is limited. So you might tell that story. It might go around and have two or three people go, oh, yeah, that sucks, or hey, that happened to me two days ago or something. And then that might be it. But they will tell me later oftentimes and say, yeah, that really stuck with me. And by the way, I did. I had the same thing happen, and I had to really learn not to trust everybody. And I was like, yeah, and I, that's just part of how it is. I said, unfortunately, it's a little bit shocking and eye-opening to understand that and to not take it personally when someone does, because sometimes they're just so anxious that they can't help it. And it just, they see an opening and they're impulsive. So it's an impulsive thing. It's an anxiety thing. It's a social pressure thing. Uh, lots of stuff going on self-hate, self, you know, oh, it's just, it's painful. It's so painful sometimes to work with that group, but it's also really reassuring if you can give them things that they really enjoy. And that when they, when you see that clicking for them, where you're, they're doing something like sanding a, a spoon that they made and it's coming out nice. And they just, you can feel that they're soothing this part of themselves that's anxious and they're really looking down and going, oh, look at this beautiful work of art I made. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden they start, you know, sharing and feeling more emotionally safe and opening up. And it's just a great feeling. And we do the best we can. As educators, we try to create opportunities for these experiences to happen. With eighth graders, I generally don't do as many challenges, but I tend to do things that are really satisfying. So I'll do a couple of crafts that they can do easily, but also add their personal creativity and touch to that. 
we do a lot of traveling, going just going on walks and exploring together, tracking, gathering things, seeing what they find along the river, up on the mountain, etc. And it's a really nice time for them to just be together. And I usually try in programs that I'm working with to really presence the fact that whenever the group that you're working with is done, that they will probably never see each other again in that same way ever again. And that when they do come back together, they will each be individuals with a lot of water under the belt. So it will be different. And so just to try to presence that feeling of taking advantage of and of the moment and feeling what it feels like to be with your friends right there in that moment. So that's eighth grade. And then high school is a little bit of a different animal because th- at this point, students who are in high school can, I've done a bow drill fire making demonstration to a bunch of high schoolers and came back a week later and three of the boys had gone into their basement just by looking at my set really closely and watching how I did it. And they made fire themselves just trying to figure it out. This is pre-internet, so they weren't getting YouTube tutorials or anything. And you get to start to see their brilliance in high school. Their brilliance level will really start to shine. You'll also see where they're struggling. If they're struggling to make friends, you'll see that. You'll see you know, you'll see where the chips have fallen and then you have the opportunity to then work with them to maybe shore up that inner foundation on, in, in all of them. And that's where just being accessible to bond, just being able to share a lot of stories, be in nature with them and the life skills, the giving them life skills that they can use whether it's decision-making or being creative or problem-solved, whatever those leadership-type things are, those are going to really come in handy. Another element that I say with high schoolers is that I will often try to give them opportunities to experience shared leadership, democratic process, talking about, what's the word, consensus leadership models, where we just get the experience of how do we all agree? How do we get everyone else on on board? And how do we support everyone and think of the group? And it's pretty interesting to see how they do with these experiences. And I don't do it all the time with every group, but I'm just saying that there are tools that you can use to help them to take what their theory is in both high school and college. A lot of times students will think, hey, I know what's going on. And all we have to do to solve world hunger is to do this. All we have to do to solve this is that they know in their mind what the answer is, but they haven't a lot of experience actually doing it. And so I try to give them experiences of how to get along. How do we work together? How do we ask questions rather than coming from a place of, I know what the answer is and everyone else is wrong. Being able to shift a little bit that consciousness of, Leading a group is hard and tricky, and you have to be able to ask the right questions and so on. So high school is, to me, a, an extension of middle school, but, but it is, in a lot of ways, fundamentally different. And they are also in a place at that time to be able to physically do a lot of really good work. They also are able to understand a lot of you can give them a lot more challenging intellectual 
things to learn. So you can push them to learn animal tracking and drawing and trees and plants and birds. And you can push them in a way where they will then turn around. If they are excited and, and inspired, they will really take off. And, and it, it's awesome. Those are just some thoughts about working with older children. And I guess I'll just say a couple things about younger children as well. Most of the time when I've done a lot of programs for youth, I don't use radically different crafts and skills all the time. I try to keep some of them similar because A, it's easier for me if I'm teaching and I'm using staff members who are new. Many times the standbys of what we teach, shelter and fire building and often baskets, many of those can be shared there are different sort of developmental stages for that. So with younger children, first, second, third, a lot of it is about building a shelter together and just working on one project and going out every day and bringing a snack and talking about that project and what we need to do next and then just letting them figure things out for two hours or three hours and finding, watching them find ways to move big sticks and or, or to do a fire making. Whatever it is they're doing, they really get into it and they will talk their themselves through it. And so if you have 14 students all talking to themselves about what they're doing and how they're doing it and what they should, what, what the other person's doing wrong and what they think that it should be. It can be really chaotic, and it's, it, but it's also really fun to watch. And I share a lot of stories with those ages. I'm way bigger storyteller in those ages than I am for the older ones. I still tell stories, but I will tell more animal stories. I will tell a lot more wilderness stories and they will really soak it, soak them up. Their imaginations are very vivid. So it's really important to not share things that could be really scary to them. My, just because it's not scary to you doesn't mean it's not scary to them. So you really want to filter what you're sharing through that understanding of where they are. And they mythologically understand the world. They're still seeing the world primarily in, in, through a, a mythological lens, a magical lens. So you know, for them, every stick they pick up is a rock, is a wand or a gun or a sword or something mythological. It's like an item, a power item, so to speak. This is why it's really important to remember as we're teaching that we're not just teaching them or being in the woods with them just to do, say, wilderness skills or nature skills or whatever we're doing in your program, if you're gardening or farming or whatever it is. But we're really thinking about it from a mythological thing. They want to, children who are young want to help. Think of a Disney movie. A Disney movie almost always has these characters where they're like, hey, it's a butterfly and a rat and whatever, a stork. And they're like, we want to save the world and no one will listen to us. And so they'll go and they'll talk to somebody and they'll be like, Okay, we'll take it from here. You guys just go back and do nothing. And, and it's impossible. There's no way you can help. And then they go and they go, hey, we want to figure out how way to help. And that is a common theme among so many movies because they feel invisible. And those younger grades feel invisible to other adults in their mind. 
they feel invisible to their older brothers, their older sisters, because their older brothers and sisters are in seventh grade and they're like, I'm obsessed with what's going on socially, so don't bother me. And so they just go, nobody wants us, nobody wa- nobody cares what we're going through. And they're like, but I care and I think I can help. And then they try to figure out how to help. So when you give them whatever your task that you're going to do, if you can filter it through that mythological think Disney movie thing, I don't mean pretend you're a cartoon and dance around with a candlestick or something, but I'm just saying that if you can keep that in mind and frame it in a way that they can understand and they will get really invested in it and they will do a really good job and they will learn a lot from that experience. So sharing those stories, super helpful. And yeah, this is a, I didn't want to go too deep on a lot of this right now, just because I could get more into activities and then more philosophy and other stuff. But I just wanted to give everyone a little overview of some of these, some of these grades. Mostly we talked about the middle school age, but a little bit before and after as well. And I hope it's helpful. Uh, I'm not the definitive answer on all these. So as there are lots of people that probably could do a detailed and better job than I can. But from a forest perspective, that's just where I'm coming from. Anyway, I hope you all have fun with whoever you're working with, whatever ages they are, whether they are older adults or students or college students or staff or these very young children, or maybe you've got some infants and you're just having fun in the park. Whatever you're doing, I just know that it's super important that you're doing that and that you're trying to figure it out and that you're you're not alone and that you're you're part of a larger community of people who care about what you're doing and are happy and available to help you if you get stuck or you need some support. So please reach out if you need anything. Let me know what you think and I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.